Acts chapter 8. We return to our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter studies through the book of Acts. We're in chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 4 through 25. That's our text. The topic of our message, Simon the Samaritan sorcerer attempts to purchase the ability to impart the Holy Spirit and is strongly rebuked by Peter. The title of our message, The Sorcerer and the Stone. Peter means stone in Greek, you know. I'll tell you, this stuff is not easy. (laughs) Acts 8, verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. There was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man named Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit." For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Let's pray. Father, we appreciate so much uh, the week-by-week look into the book of Acts as you unfold this story before us. There are so many things that we could focus on, many things that you want to teach us. I pray that uh, you would be here in the fullness of your glory and love and wonder, uh, teaching each and every individual, myself included, Uh, ministering to us, Lord, revealing things in your word to us. So exciting, Lord, just as we read the word and hear it, you begin to speak to us because it's so alive and powerful. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we could give some sense to some of the events of of this episode. And Lord, uh, as we end our service this morning and, and invite people to come forward for prayer, Lord, that they might receive this wonderful baptism with the Spirit. I pray that you would be working on hearts even now, Lord, of those who are hungry for more of you. 
We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. A magician can usually figure out how a fellow magician is performing his tricks and illusions. It must have blown Simon away to watch what happened in the aftermath of Philip's preaching to the Samaritans. Demons and diseases were eradicated and the people who had suffered from them were set free. In all his sorceries, Simon was not able to tap into that kind of power. He decided to follow Philip around. Perhaps he could discover the source of this power. When Peter and John came down to Samaria and laid hands on the new believers, Simon made his move. He offered to buy the ability to confer power upon the people. Simon says, give me this power. Peter says, your money perish with you. Many issues are raised in this passage. At its core, there is an average, ordinary, everyday believer who shared Jesus Christ and saw a surge of power follow his witness. We are average, ordinary, everyday believers. We could sure use a surge of power to follow our witness. And so I'll therefore organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, a surge of Holy Spirit power can follow you. And number two, the source of Holy Spirit power can fall upon you. Let's look first of all in verses 4 through 13 where we'll see a surge of Holy Spirit power can follow you. Persecution on a large and very public scale had broken out upon the church in Jerusalem. Believers were scattered out from Jerusalem to the outlying areas of Judea and Samaria. Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, focuses our attention uh, momentarily on the travels of Philip. Philip had earlier been chosen as one of seven men who would oversee the distribution of monies and food to the widows in the church on a daily basis. The seven men became the pattern for the office of a deacon in the church. At the time they were chosen, they were not officials of the church, just ordinary men who met a few basic spiritual qualifications that really all Christians should meet. As we follow Philip down to Samaria, we are seeing what God did through an ordinary, average, everyday believer who had simple faith in his Lord. And so in verses 4 through 8, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we commented on these verses in our last study in Acts. Let's focus on Philip this morning. One thing we notice is that his trip to Samaria was not a planned missionary outreach. It wasn't a program of the church. The church didn't get together and send him there hoping to reach Samaria with the gospel. He suffered persecution, as did many of the, well, all of the believers, and many of them were scattered or dispersed into Judea and Samaria. And he simply talked about Jesus wherever he found himself. And so we call Philip, in a sense, the first missionary of the church, uh, but really he didn't know that he was on a mission. He didn't know he was the first missionary. He was just a Christian 
He found himself in Samaria and couldn't help but talk about his relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God then accompanied Philip's witness to the Samaritans with a surge of Holy Spirit power. Miracles like exorcisms and healings followed his preaching of Jesus Christ. A lot of contemporary conservative theology is dedicated to proving to you that God will definitely not do these things anymore today. It's really, it starts off being comical and then it gets sad. Uh, if you read a lot of commentaries, and I'm not suggesting that you don't. In fact, I think it would be a good idea if as we go through books on Sunday morning, you'd go over to the bookstore and grab one of the smaller commentaries on the book we're studying. Uh, in Acts, we have a number of them. I'd recommend Warren Wearsby. Uh, he's got a great series through the entire Bible. And, and you can kind of study ahead. Uh, you can bust me on some stuff that I plagiarize, you know, things like that. Uh, but it just kind of enhances your study. But you'll, you'll find, since most of the books are written by conservative evangelicals who come from conservative seminaries, they, they're heavy into trying to uh, prove to you that God really doesn't want to do miracles and signs and wonders anymore. Their reasoning is that these guys didn't have the Bible, the completed scripture, and so in order to verify what Philip was saying, to show that it was true, God allowed there to be miracles and signs and wonders. Uh, and, uh, of course, they did have, you know, they were all Jews, and they did have their Bible. Uh, you know, they had the, what we call the Old Testament. And, I mean, there's a lot we could go into. I just, it's just sad, really, that so much effort is spent into trying to prove that there, there really aren't miracles and signs and wonders. We've adopted the position that whatever God did in Acts, He can still do today. He doesn't have to do it. He doesn't always do it. But He can do it. Our part is to just share Jesus Christ wherever we find ourselves and then to trust that God is going to uh, verify that with some kind of power to our witness. Now, in verse 9, it says, There was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Now, this guy has several aliases in Christian history. He's known as Simon the Sorcerer, Simon the Magician, Simon of Gitta, or Simon Magus. The particular word for sorcery is where we get our word for magic. He may simply have been a magician practicing illusion, sleight of hand, and such tricks, or he may have been a conduit for certain demonic activities. Probably it was a little bit of both, as he dabbled in the occult and learned some dark arts and also figured out how to just trick people. Um, Remember one time on a trip to the Philippines, we were uh, flying over to the Philippines and we happened to sit next to two elderly women. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were going to the Philippines for a missions trip. You're always interested in why other people are going to the Philippines and why are you going. She was going to be healed by a faith healer uh, who was going to reach into her stomach and take out the tumor out of her stomach. And she'd seen this done before. Of course, I'd seen it done before, too, on uh, television and how it's done, and it's, it's all a sleight-of-hand magic kind of a trick that takes place. You pay thousands of dollars to 
be healed of your cancer. And uh, the magician, you know, he reaches down into your stage. He's, he's palming some chicken gizzards in his other hand, and his hand kind of bends down. It looks like he's in your tummy. It really does, you know. And, and then he comes up with these chicken gizzards, and, and uh, you've been healed of cancer. Of course, you're not. And that was the problem that Simon had as well. Uh, it says here that people heeded him, and that indicates that they did seek him out for spiritual help and counsel. He had just enough of what seemed like the supernatural to keep them coming, but not enough to offer any genuine assistance. People left still possessed and oppressed by demons and still suffering from their diseases. I mean, when Philip comes down and preaches the gospel, people are, uh, you know, demons are, are, are cast out and diseases are, are destroyed. Obviously, Simon wasn't really helping anybody. It's like you know, the, these kind of sorcerers and mediums and people that you go to today, the palm readers, Madame Sophia and all these people, you know, who, uh, the astrologers and all that, you, you lay down your money and, and, and they, they tell you something that seems a little, you know, makes a little bit of sense. Maybe you do know dead Aunt Flo and, you know, those kinds of things. And, and, and it's a racket really is what it is. In verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. The content of Philip's message was simple. It was just the person and work of Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom. It's what we talk about every week. Jesus Christ, God come in the flesh, risen from the dead, reigning in glory in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, going to return to rapture the church, set up his kingdom on the earth. Just real basic, exciting Christianity. The people believed on Jesus and were water baptized to publicly identify themselves as Christians and to uh, give a public testimony of the inward work that had taken place. Then you get this odd reference here in verse 13. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. We read the word believed and immediately interpret it to mean saved. We talk about believers and believing in Jesus Christ. And and we sometimes think that everybody who says they believe is actually saved. Uh, Most of you, just if you think for a second, you know that's not true. A lot of you came out of a religious tradition. And up until the time you got saved, you would have said, well, yeah, I believe in God. Ninety percent of the people in America believe in God. The other ten percent belong to the ACLU. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, ninety percent of the people in America, every time there's a poll, ninety percent of the people in the United States say, I believe in God. But you and I would say, wouldn't say that ninety percent of the people in our country are Christians. When I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition, In that church, I would have said I believed, but I certainly wasn't saved. And so the Samaritan people believed, were baptized. We don't have any reason to think that they were not saved. Simon believed something, was baptized. We don't have any reason to believe he was saved. There are people in the Bible who believed and who were not saved. Jesus talks about them in John chapter 2 where it says... Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. In other words, he knew they weren't saved. They believed in the signs and wonders. They had some level of belief, but not a saving faith. Then there is this statement in James chapter 2, verse 19, where James says, you believe there is a God, you do well, even the demons believe, and they tremble. 
And so just because you read the word believe doesn't mean we're talking about a believer, a saved individual. It's determined by the context. In our context, the Samaritans believed and were saved. Simon believed, but we will see in a moment that he was not saved. So why did Simon believe and get baptized? Well, Simon could not do any of the genuine miracles that followed Philip's preaching. No one was seeking out his services anymore, and he could not compete with Philip. It seemed that he hoped to learn Philip's secret. As this story unfolds, this is what he was really after, the secret of Philip's power. The best way to do uh, to learn that secret, he thought, was to join the new movement and observe it from within. A surge of power followed Philip and his preaching of Jesus. You and I need power surges to follow our witness. It doesn't have to be exorcisms and healings. Although it might be if we weren't preaching a Christ who no longer wants to do such things. I mean, the majority of, of as I've said, conservative preaching in America is, is to downplay uh, these things from ever happening. But more common to us would be the everyday power surges to simply act and react as Christians ought to. It would be to walk in the Beatitudes as given by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as described by Paul the Apostle in the book of Galatians. It would be to walk in victory over sin. It would be to die to self. It would be to live what would be considered a normal Christian life where you depend upon God and walk in His will according to His Word. And if we would just do that on a very simple daily level, it would be an absolute surge of power in the world in which we live. You see, people in Samaria were seeking something. And they found it, they thought, in Simon the sorcerer. They had spiritual questions, supernatural concerns. What happens when we die? I have this disease. Uh, you know, they wanted spiritual counsel. And, and Simon was their only resource. People in our world... Uh, even though they say they're atheists, even though they say they're unconcerned, they're seeking answers. They, uh, just look at anyone at any funeral you ever go to, and, and you can tell just looking in their eyes that they're, they're afraid, they're scared. They realize that one day they will die. They don't know where they're going to go, or if they think they know, they don't know why they believe that, and they have all these personal issues in their life. People know that they're blowing it. They know that they're sinners. They know that life isn't for them what it ought to be. Oh, sure, they put on a facade, but they have questions. And we have what? The answer and the answers. We need just to live out the normal, everyday, ordinary Christian life uh, of walking in the fruit of the Spirit and the Beatitudes in the joy of the Lord with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And people will say, do I want the simony of the world or do I want what this person has? This is so genuine. This is so real. This is working for you. Tell me about Jesus Christ. I see this surge of power in your life. If people get healed, if people get exercised of demons, if miracles and signs and wonders also follow, that would be up to God and that would be great let's just start I would say by living just what would be the normal Christian life and after all all that God asks us to do is to just share our relationship with Jesus Christ to tell others who we live for and and what we're all about 
In verses 14 through 25, you see the source of Holy Spirit power can fall upon you. Simon was hanging around trying to discover the secret of Philip's power. He thought he found it when Peter and John came on the scene. Verse 14, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The reason they were sent is fascinating. Verse 15, Who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whoa, wait a minute. Can you be a genuine believer, indwelt by God the Holy Spirit, but not have received the baptism with the Holy Spirit Jesus promised all believers? Well, the answer to that is yes. We've already seen that in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Now we see it again, and we're going to return to this momentarily and talk about it. But first, I want to finish Simon. Verse 17, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. After perhaps weeks of trying to determine the secret, there he thought it was. You had to be an apostle, Simon reasoned, in order to have and be able to impart this power. So I'll just buy my way into the apostleship. And notice he didn't just want the power. He wanted the ability to impart the power. To him, this was just a superior sorcery that he might profit from. If you're a magician, the idea is here, you want to buy this trick. Uh, and and uh, that's what happens. You go to magic shop. Essentially, if you go to a magic shop, you, you're buying the trick. And on a bigger scale with these guys that are real illusionists and magicians, I mean, you know, their, their tricks can cost thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. How did he do that? Of course, on TV, I don't know why you watch magic on television. <laughs> How do you know? I made the United States disappear. Well, yeah, it's television. I mean, I could do that, too, by turning it off. But, uh, you know, but I mean, a magician would understand this. Simon is wanting to buy this trick. Peter said to him, your money perish with you, which I have to tell you means literally you and your money can go to hell is what he says. He's not swearing at him. He's not using it in the terms that we do. He's being real. He's saying, you and your money go to hell in the sense that this is the motivation that you're coming from. Because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you are poisoned by the bitterness, and you are bound by iniquity. Again, I would like to point out that Peter was not a politically correct guy at all. Uh, These apostles and first century Christians, when they were sure about something, when they knew what was going on, they just spoke the truth in love. Uh, and, you know, the best thing you can do to a guy like Simon who's, who's, whose heart is just filled with wickedness and sin is say, you're about to go to hell, brother. You know, you're, you're, you're this close to uh, perdition. You'd better repent right now of this your wickedness. Peter's rebuke establishes that Simon was definitely not saved. All of the descriptive words are very strong indicators Simon was not saved. He was a pretender hanging around, professing faith in Christ because he wanted to buy this power. Peter's rebuke was harsh but still held out hope of repentance. Peter's the one who would later write that God is not willing that any should perish, even Simon the sorcerer. 
And so there was a hope of repentance. But how did Simon respond? He answered and said, why don't you pray for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me? Hey, his statement indicates a failure to personally repent of his sins. And it is the long tradition of the church and church history that Simon not only failed to repent, but that he went on to establish a rival false religion. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Why did these big guns from Jerusalem come down to Samaria? The text suggests that they came specifically to lay hands on the believers so that they would receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so why was the baptism with the Holy Spirit delayed among the Samaritans? Theologians give reasons why they think the baptism with the Holy Spirit was delayed. Their reasons are not reasons, they are only results. What I mean is that, first of all, the text itself provides no reason or reasons. All you're told is that the Samaritans received Christ and that the apostles went down so that they could then receive the further experience of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. No reason is given. One overwhelmingly popular conservative evangelical reason is given for the delay. It says that because of the long-standing hatred between Jews and Samaritans, it was necessary for the heavy hitters among the Jews to come and impart the baptism of the Holy Spirit to them. That way, everyone would understand that there was no division between them and that we were all one having kumbaya. Now, that is a result of what... That's what happens as a result of the apostles coming down. But it's not a reason... And you don't see that anywhere in this text. It's not there. It is a result of what God did in sending Peter and John, but it cannot be proven from Scripture to be the reason. The real reason conservative scholars use it as the reason is because they deny the possibility of a baptism with the Holy Spirit being an experience a saved person has subsequent to their salvation. You know, the theme of the book of Acts was given by Jesus in Acts 1.8 where we read, and these are the words of Christ, the words of Christ in red. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we've been seeing that unfold and now we've gotten to Judea and Samaria, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. The initial group of believers who waited for this promise in the upper room were definitely saved. More than that, they were already indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. He was in them, but had not yet fallen upon them in this experience that Jesus describes. He fell upon them on the day of Pentecost. The next significant mention of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is here in our chapter. Here we saw another group of saved believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit who also waited for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He fell upon them when the apostles laid their hands on them. The next significant mention of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is in the conversion of Paul in Acts chapter 9. He gets saved on the road to Damascus but is left blind. A believer named Ananias is sent to pray for him, and as Paul is healed, he is also said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, he'd already gotten saved and was indwelt by the Spirit on the road to Damascus, so what this means is that the Holy Spirit falls upon him. He receives the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The next significant mention of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is in Acts chapter 10. 
Peter gets sent by God to the house of a Gentile named Cornelius. While Peter is still speaking to them about Jesus, they are saved and simultaneously baptized with the Holy Spirit. I ask you, do you see a pattern in how or when believers receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit? No, you don't see any pattern. It bothers theologians and anyone with systematic thinking that we cannot nail down a systematic teaching on exactly how you receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. If we just keep into the book of Acts, we see that some received it subsequent to their salvation and water baptism after a time of waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. Some received it subsequent to their salvation and their water baptism by the laying on of the hands of the apostles. At least one person, Paul, received it subsequent to his salvation but before water baptism by the laying on of hands of an average everyday believer named Ananias. Some received it simultaneously with salvation and before they were water baptized. I would add to all that the Bible says, the testimony of many godly men in church history who describe receiving the baptism with the Holy Spirit much later in their ministries. Men like D.L. Moody and R.A. Torrey, men we trust as excellent expositors of God's Word, biblical men who established Bible colleges even, who nevertheless understood that you could be saved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit but lack his falling upon you to empower you in your witness for Jesus Christ. And that brings us necessarily to an application. Not every study brings us to an application, but this one does. We would say that there are at least three types of people here today. There are non-believers. You may believe certain things, but not yet be saved. You've never been born again. The Holy Spirit does not indwell you. If that's the case, you need to confess your sin, ask Jesus to save you, and be born again. Then there are believers who either simultaneously or subsequently have by faith received the baptism with the Holy Spirit when they got saved. He fell upon you and you understood and understand your dependence upon Him to give power to your witness. And then there are inevitably believers who have not yet received this baptism with the Holy Spirit. You are saved and indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. You're not deficient in any sense. But you lack power in your witness on a daily basis. Maybe you've never even heard that this was possible. Maybe you've become convinced through conservative preaching that there is no such experience subsequent to salvation. Maybe you've been frightened by Pentecostal preaching that says... You only have this if you start speaking in tongues and jump out the window because the Holy Spirit has to fall upon you and make you go crazy in order for us to know that you've received it. So there's a lot of different things going on. Here's what I'm saying this morning. This is what I'm trying to establish. Jesus Christ told His apostles... He told the Apostle Paul, he told the Samaritans, he told the household of Cornelius basically that you have got to have this power if you're going to be effective in your witness. You might get it when you get saved. You might get it after you get saved. It has nothing to do with water baptism. It's a spirit baptism. And so the only real question is, if I look back on my Christian experience, is there ever been a time in my life when I feel like I have received this baptism with the Holy Spirit? And if you cannot say yes 
then you should be seeking it. How is God going to give it to you? I'm not really sure. It's like the healing ministry of Jesus. Jesus didn't really heal people the same way. You can't really nail Jesus down on healing. He could heal you from a distance just by speaking the word. He could touch you and heal you. You could touch him and get healed secretly. One time he made a compound out of spit and mud to heal somebody. I, I want to say that our relationship with the Holy Spirit is in that kind of a dimension because he is, after all, a person who has a personal relationship with us. And, and we are not going to be trapped by a systematic theology, a dogmatic theology that says this is how this always happens and these things never happen anymore, so let's just be content. We're going to ask you this morning, those of you who wish, to come forward and just be prayed for. That's what they did in the New Testament. In this case, it was by the hands of the apostles. We don't have any of those here today. Later on, Paul would just be prayed for by a guy named Ananias, just an average believer. And so some of our guys are going to come down right now, like they do at the end of our services, and they're going to pray f- for you who want to come forward. And we spend a few minutes. The rest of you who don't want to come forward, uh, just sing along or pray for those who are coming forward. And this is for you who you just say, hey, you know, I really, I don't think I've ever been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not looking for anything in particular to happen. I don't know what might happen, but I do want more power in my witness for Christ. I want to have a surge of power so that people know that I'm a Christian. And if that describes you, then come on down and be prayed for as we close. Uh, and then I'll close the service uh, at some point. And, and so just come on down. Start coming down right now if you want to be prayed for. Father, I do thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, for any that come down this morning, I pray that you would fall upon them in the glory and wonder and the power of your Spirit as you uh, always have done for the centuries intervening. Bless this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.